From the hills of central New York and the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Frank Rossi. My guest on this episode of Frankly Speaking is Dr. Sarah Stricker, the Communications and Outreach Coordinator for the Guelph Turfgrass Institute in Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Dr. Stricker, Sarah, is a lifelong lawnmower just like me, but unlike me, has an MS and PhD in turfgrass and vegetable pathology from the University of Guelph. She spent several years studying with Dr. Tom Shung in turfgrass pathology, and in her current role at GTI, she works closely with the world-renowned faculty and staff to support education in the form of short courses, two-year programs, and four-year programs. They've got an expansive research program addressing a variety of issues facing Canadian turfgrass managers and outreach efforts that address issues such as pesticide use and lawn alternatives. I'm sure you're going to enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sarah Stricker. Successful sports fields and golf courses are very dependent on a functioning soil. And a functioning soil is dependent on organic matter levels as well as soil temperature and moisture. Managing these vital soil properties requires good physical property management. And for that, you should turn to DryJack services that aerates, top dresses, and amends in one pass. DryJack services offer the most effective way to get the most out of your sand application. So contact your local DryJack rep. For more info or visit dryjack.com. Welcome to Frankly Speaking, Sarah Stricker. It's a pleasure to meet you. We've not met in person, at least that I can recall. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure it's a busy time up there because it looks like you've got a couple of current roles that you're playing. And I'd like to start the conversation out a little bit with your background. Looks like you've always had an interest in plants, but I will say evolving into turf grass is not typical for students generally interested in plant sciences unless you had that interest when you were younger. Sarah. So welcome to the program and I want to give you a chance to sort of get our listeners familiar with your background. Thanks so much for having me. I'm up here at the Guelph Turfgrass Institute, which is part of the University of Guelph. Guelph is about 40 minute drive west of Toronto for anyone who doesn't know where we are. But I come from a small town and sort of a farm type background. So you said like I always had an interest in plants. We've always been gardeners. And actually, I pushed a lawnmower ever since I was tall enough to. So hmm. I, I've been cutting grass as long as I can remember. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I originally came to Guelph. I wanted to be a veterinarian. And that's what I went to school for originally for my Bachelor of Science. And then in the first year, I realized I can't handle blood. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was a quick switch to instead of animal pathology to plant pathology because plants don't bleed. Mm. And so that's where I sort of followed that. And in fourth year, I had a course under Dr. Tom Shung. He said, you would be a great candidate to work in turf. And I said, <laughs> sure, that sounds like a great idea. But instead, I'm actually going to go off and do teacher's college. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> and then I was a high school teacher for a while. It was a harder experience than I can express. I was working in England uh -huh. and I called up my old mentor, Dr. Tom Shung, after a few years of that. And I said, you know, this isn't really doing it for me. I think I want to do research. Huh. Is that position still on the table? And he said, yeah, I got a project. You can start anytime. And so 
I packed my bags from England, came back and did my master's with him. Then I did a PhD also at the University of Guelph under a different advisor in the Department of Plant Agriculture. I worked on a fungal pathogen of onions and looking at fungicide insensitivity. I'm sure you've heard that either insensitivity or the word resistance coming up, and Mm -hmm. that is an issue also in the turf industry. Mm -hmm. And so when there was an opportunity for me to come in to work at the Guelph Turfgrass Institute, I was a logical fit because I enjoy teaching. I Mm -hmm. get to do teaching. I like event planning. I like outreach. I get to do some research. This is sort of a jack-of-all-trades kind of job, and it's in turf. And turf is a really great model organism to work with as a pathologist because you can have thousands of plants to work with in a very small little area. Thank you for that wonderful answer. So let me unpack a couple of pieces that we can expound upon. And and as I mentioned to you offline, I wonder if you couldn't introduce people to Tom Shung who don't know him and sort of the impact. Obviously, as an academic, I know him. Obviously, many Canadian turfgrass managers know him. And certainly a lot of us in the northern United States, you know, have sort of met Tom over the years for the many things he studied. But he's really just an accomplished researcher and teacher. And it sounds like an excellent mentor as well. Absolutely. Yeah. He actually just recently won an award here for outstanding teaching. He's been teaching here at the university for more than 30 years, and he teaches in our two-year diploma program as well as in our four-year Bachelor of Science degree program. His origins actually go back to, he did his PhD in forest pathology. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he teaches forest pathology and turf pathology. And his lab, he's qualified as ornamental pathology. So he does turf, but he also does things like dogwood and boxwood and all sorts of additional ornamentals. Mm -hmm. He has a pet project about tar spot of maple, and he is most known in the turf industry here for his fungicide efficacy trials. Mm -hmm. So he does every year a trial for dollar spot and a trial for snow mold, and that's gray snow mold and pink snow mold. And here in Canada, it's very important for a company wanting to register a product in Canada They need to have efficacy data. Mm -hmm. They need to prove that the product actually works and the data needs to be from Canada. Mm -hmm. So one of the locations that companies can come to for Mm -hmm. that unbiased data is the Guelph Turfgrass Institute. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Tom Shung is the one that runs those trials for those Mm -hmm. two diseases. That's so great. Okay. Can you talk for a minute about switching from plants to wanting to teach? Working with kids uh, in England, which I am assuming kids are kids, you know, wherever they are, but depending on the grade level that you're teaching. And now you're instructing in the two and four year program. So obviously you really like teaching. What was it that you got disillusioned about? Was it the sort of class management, parent interaction, the things that are external to the actual experience with the kids? The biggest issue I find with the public system today, and this is uh, grade school and high school, is that we can't fail them. You have to push them through. Mm -hmm. And so I was teaching students who were grade 8 to 12, and they had like a grade 4 reading level. Mm -hmm. And that was just so frustrating to see. And then also a lot of these students, they're being forced through these programs and they don't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And so I prefer teaching them at the adult ed level (laughs) or the post-secondary education level Mm -hmm. where hopefully those individuals are a bit more motivated, more interested in learning those things. I don't like shoving information down someone's throat, but if you come to me and you're interested in learning, I'm all in. 
Speaking of your education program and what you're involved in now at Guelph, you have the two-year diploma, the four-year BS. You also have, don't you have a one-week or two-week or... We have a four-week short course. We run that in the month of February, Mm -hmm. and it has a capacity of 50 people, and we have sold out. Yeah, it sells out in five minutes. It's been selling yeah. out in five minutes for 20 years. Yeah. It's it's one of those really marvels that your industry has become incredibly uh, dependent on. How's the two and four year? Obviously, you know, times have been tough here in the States on four year programs. Two year programs are smaller still, but there are a few left. There's a lot of the two year winter schools like Rutgers has them, Wisconsin has it, UMass has it. Mm -hmm. How are your two and four year programs doing population wise? Yeah, the four year program It's kind of been renamed, so I wouldn't say that there is a four-year program that specifically says turf grass anymore. Mm -hmm. We call it horticulture. Mm -hmm. So in that element, hard to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are a lot of horticulture students, but how many of those are specifically interested in turf? I would say it is low. Mm -hmm. But the two-year program, we're full. We have a capacity of 30, and we have 28 students in our cohort this year. Mm -hmm. And we have... Last I heard, uh, 17 applications already coming in for September next year. Mm -hmm. So we're not having a problem filling our two-year program diploma at all. Where are they coming from, Sarah? Are these uh, right out of secondary school? Are they uh, changing careers, been in the business for a while and now want to advance or, or all of the above? I would say the short course, specifically the four-week course, it is more often been in the industry for a while looking for a promotion or looking for a skills upgrade. They're coming for the short course for that. And those are usually some of the older individuals in our cohorts. Mm -hmm. Like they might even have family. It's really hard to leave your family for two, four years to go to school. So a four-week program makes sense. Mm -hmm. That being said, we do also still have some high school students that come to the short course just to be like, I'm kind of interested. And I've actually seen people go to the short course, the four-week course, and then come to the diploma program because they're hungry for more, right? Mm. As far as the two-year course, it is a bit of a mixed bag. I have some students that are older than me. A majority of them are younger, obviously, mm-hmm. but there are a couple members that come in and they're looking for a career change or they're looking to go from laborer to skilled laborer mm-hmm. or superintendent, right? Mm. Yeah. So one of the things I can tell you, I've been traveling up to Toronto for many years. In fact, a very little known secret about my career is, except for a twist of fate, I actually might have worked in Canada when Terry Yamada and I competed for the National Director of the Royal Canadian Golf Association back in the early 90s. So I'm, this was 89, 1990. So I'm really dating myself here, Sarah. So don't make fun of the old guy here. But I remember... Boy, when you talked about turf in Canada, Bob Sheard, Eggins, Chris Hall, and this is just at Guelph. I mean, there was a long history of that. And now you've got, of course, for a really long time, Eric and Katerina have been with Tom for a while. Is Cam there now? Is it Cam Shaw? Yeah. So Dr. Eric Lyons was our director of the Guelph Turfgrass Institute for the last eight years. And Mm -hmm. now Dr. Katerina Jordan has taken over as director. And yes, we have Cam Shaw. He was previously in my role. And now he's managing the two-year program Ah. uh, with our diploma students. Ah, Very good. So having that rich history, navigating an academic environment, 
Is there some recognition? I know you guys had to sell the land and move not long ago. Let's talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that transition. Did that actually work out okay for everybody? I remember visiting it once, and boy, it did look like it was getting crowded in there to have the place. <laughs> Has that worked out pretty well? Yeah, so the history of the Guelph Turf Grass Institute is like, there's been turf research going on at the University of Guelph since the 40s, right? This isn't new. But in the late 80s, they decided we want a specific spot for turf. And so they made an agreement with the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, so the provincial government, to have a plot of land and they got a 25-year lease. So that went from 1990, 25 years. And we did get a couple more years on that, but they basically said at the end of the lease, the property value is just so high. And it was a huge property. The Turfgrass Institute was only part of it. There was also forestry studies and there was an apple orchard in the back and it was huge. So we couldn't possibly buy it off of them. (laughs) And the ministry, you know, governments want to make money, right? And so they basically gave us our notice and they did support us. So through the Research Institute of Ontario, they did support us with some funds to buy a plot of land still on the university property and reconstruct. And the move allowed us to build a brand new state-of-the-art facility, all new root zones based on Sportsfield Canada's construction manual. We Mm -hmm. have California style, salacious, non-salacious, USGA greens, Mm. all sorts of turf species. We've got a sloped trial. We have a lot of things that we didn't have at the old property. We have smaller area, but I think we're using it more efficiently. And because of the move also, Environment Canada kicked in and put a brand new weather station on the property. So we have an equipment upgrade that's run by them. And so where people get their weather forecasts from are these weather stations that are all around Canada. And so now we have a brand new station for us. So there's definitely some improvements and the building itself is beautiful. I know you're coming up to Ontario for the OGSA show Mm -hmm. in January. So I'd love to have you here and show you around. We have this lecture hall where we can have the short course. We now also have a classroom. The other building didn't have a classroom. So now we have our two-year students here at the TTI. And so then when the instructors want to show them something in the field, it's just a few steps out the back door. So, and we've seen a lot more student engagement on the property. You know, the landscape class, they're pouring concrete in our front yard. The turf management class, they were able to run small experiments on ball marks and divots and divot filling and, and different things like that in the back. I think it's beneficial specifically for our students And for research-wise, I say that this is sort of the have-it-your way of research. You can pick your root zone and your turf species and your irrigation and your whatever treatments. We have all these different options for you to build a different research trial. That's so great, Sarah. I'm so glad to hear that. When you can be that intentional in, in at least putting the infrastructure in to support what might come behind it. Is the diagnostic clinic in there as well? We are running the diagnostic clinic. Uh, Katerina Jordan is uh, in charge of that. Each professor still has their own lab. Tom Shung and Mm -hmm. Eric Lyons and Katerina Jordan, they all have their own labs in their own buildings. So Mm -hmm. she's still running the diagnostic clinic out of her lab. But we do have a lab here and we're looking to move the diagnostic clinic here for future change is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, listen, let's take a break, Sarah. We'll come back and chat about your role there as a communication outreach specialist and a little bit what it's like talking to a population that's distinctly, I think, in many ways different because of the regulations that you guys are under many times that we're not and the way you communicate in that environment. We'll look forward to chat with you about that when we come back. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back. 
effective fertilizer and pesticide application demands precision, whether it's a sports field or a golf course. And for that precision, you need our partners at Frost Spray Technology Products. The experts at Frost offer the latest technology and can deliver what you need when you need it. Precision applications require the right equipment to get the product applied at the right rate at the right time. Frost Spray Technology has the expertise you can rely on. Buy your next sprayer from a sprayer company, not a mower company. Learn more about all that Frost offers at FrostServe.com. That's Frost, S-E-R-V.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm talking with Sarah Stricker, Communications and Outreach Coordinator for the Guelph Turfgrass Institute and a accomplished plant pathologist, uh, as we'll let the cat out of the bag here, Sarah, as you did earlier. And one of the things I do notice about pathologists, you know, Bruce Clark was a forest pathologist. I've known turfgrass pathologists that came out of vegetables and ornamental plants as well. So that is a very interesting crossover field. But you've crossed over in a different way as well. You serve your phytopathological society. Can you take just a moment and talk about your role as an academic in that particular environment? And then I'll get on to the stuff you got to chat about out with the Institute. Yeah. And, you know, plant pathologists, usually, I hate to say this, we are often more focused on the pathogen than we are the host. (laughs) And so we follow the fungus or we follow (laughs) the bacteria, we follow the virus. That's why we we seem to swap crops a lot. In our mind, we're focused on that side. And so don't fault us for that. It's just, (laughs) we love the disease triangle so much. But yeah, so I've sat as the chair and now I'm past chair for the American Phytopathological Society Turfgrass Committee. And so you might know them through the Turfgrass Compendium, Mm -hmm. which is the best-selling book that's published by the APS. And it's because we have such close connections with our industry. So they have trust in us. They made a new issue just this year and it's flying off the shelves because everyone wants to know how best to manage the disease, right? And the best way to learn is from the experts. And sometimes it's just easy to have a book on your shelf and you pull it out and you have it there. Exactly right. And the name Compendium has had cachet since it was generated here at Cornell University. The very first edition by Professor Dick Smiley, who I believe just retired, and he did that publication with graduate student and just recent Illinois Golf Hall of Fame pathologist Randy Kane. And Hank Wilkinson, I think, might have helped a little bit, but that's originally a Cornell publication. And you're saying APS, it's always been a APS publication. I know Dick and Randy did it in the basement for years, but there's <laughs> compendiums for many diseases, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's different compendiums for different crop groups and such, but the turf compendium specifically is the number one seller. Yes, so glad to hear that. So you've been involved with pathologists all over the country that work in turf, which has been certain, I would imagine, really fascinating for you to also have to deal with some of the things that pathologists in this country have to deal with, which is when they do trials, there's probably 120 chemicals. I bet when Tom does it, there's five. (laughs) (laughs) So can we start there and talk about, uh, you know, obviously you're interacting with these colleagues and obviously they do pathological. You guys like the microbes for sure, but we primarily manage these things. Let's be honest about it, even in your country, we primarily manage them preventatively 
with fungicides. Yes, we do a lot of other things. We plant varieties and we might roll. We might put a fan in, cut some trees down, put some drainage in, you know, all the things you do. But Mm -hmm. fundamentally, when you're faced with a pathogen that is going to cause disruption to the turf, you're going to spray it. You guys have fewer options. Over here, we have a lot more Have you ever wondered about the conversations that are different that you have than the ones are that the pathologists have in this country? Yeah. Well, and also you have a whole other element of trying to grow in the transition zone and worm season grasses. That's, that's a whole other element and a whole other slew of diseases that I am just, I don't even touch the tip (laughs) of the iceberg on that. But yeah, the number of products that we have available, part of it is due to what I mentioned before the break that we need to have efficacy data in Canada. There needs to be at least three locations and I think two location data sets years. And that costs money. So it costs a lot of money for a company to register a product up in Canada for a relatively smaller industry. Mm -hmm. They're only selling to golf courses here. Sports fields, unless they're hosting international events or getting uh, specific uh, exemptions, they're not able to apply. Cemeteries, homeowners... School, playgrounds, all those areas, no chemical controls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No fungicides, no herbicides, no insecticides. Um, And the rules on that varies by province. Each province decided to kick in their own extra little rules. And so now even some provinces have rules about you're not allowed to apply iron. You can apply it if it's a fertilizer, but you can't apply it as a weed control. Oh, wow. So Uh, they've caught on to Fiesta. Yeah. I didn't Uh want to mention the name exactly, but yeah, I think that's in Nova Scotia. They have that rule in different provinces. I was in New Brunswick and they had this rule that you're allowed to apply herbicide control to your home lawns, but you're only allowed to treat at any time in the year. 50% of the total area. But then some homeowners are figuring this out and they just call two different companies. (laughs) People are still, I hate to say it, but people are going across the border and bringing products back in to Canada that are not registered here. (sighs) And it comes down to a matter of trust, I think, Hmm. that our powers that be don't trust people to use the products that are available Mm -hmm. in a safe manner for human safety and also environmental safety. And so they put a broad band down. Nope, no, you just can't. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the other element of less products being available is that registration cost Mm -hmm. to the company. Yeah. And this, of course, is a bigger deal at the homeowner and lawn level. For years, Canada's had the IPM policy, right, that golf courses have to follow. And obviously, strict reporting, and they're looking for routine reductions in the province, in Ontario province, that is. Mm-hmm. And there, every year, there was a meeting required that the golf course superintendents, the golf course had to host for the public to come in and talk about, or you had to present what you sprayed. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about where that's at? Yes. Yeah, so this is specifically for Ontario. And like I said, every province is slightly different. Mm-hmm. But in Ontario, superintendents to keep their license for the property, they need to have continuing education credits every year. I think it's six or it was eight. And now it's six. So they need to prove that they're continuing their education personally to be at the forefront of best management practices. They need to report everything that they spray and how much and where and why. And yes, if they applied more this year, they have to give an explanation why, but they should be theoretically applying less and less to eventually get to a point of zero. Well, that's unrealistic in most cases. Mm -hmm. The meeting that they used to host, it was supposed to be posted and it was open for anyone to come and Mm -hmm. either no one would show up Mm -hmm. or people would show up. And this 
poor superintendent would just get berated or protested against by people who are not really understanding the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. So now we're no longer doing the public meeting, but you do have to have your records available if anyone were to come on site as like a homeowner or in the neighborhood nearby wanting to know what you're doing. And you do have to post signage every time you spray. So there sounds like this great antagonism overall uh, up there. And I remember when it first happened in Ontario, started up in Hudson, right? The idea of these things are cosmetic, that you're using these pesticides for cosmetic purposes, right? That there isn't necessarily any function to a weed-free or a low weed-infested landscape. There's no value. You know, we don't care about this stuff. We care more about our health and using the precautionary principle as a guide. You're not going to be able to use these things, which, you know, generally says that I don't know what the value is of these things. And mm-hmm. I know I've seen Eric uh, do some presenting on on carbon stuff. And, and I know you guys have started to do some no mow may stuff. Before we get into those very interesting topics, I want to get into the whole idea of how as a communications person, right? This is your lane, Sarah, and I can tell in chatting with you, you're really good at it. How do you communicate this benefit or this value of a landscape or a land use to people who come in a bit antagonistic about the whole thing? I think the first thing is to understand where the people are coming from, right? And understand their personal background and where their opinions are coming from. Because what's the phrase of the know thy enemy, right? (laughs) You can't just put up arguments to someone that they're automatically going to shoot down. So Mm -hmm. when someone says that, for instance, lawns are a monoculture and they're useless, well, then I can go back and uh, pull up a sample of lawn and pull out the six different species that are actually growing there, three of them being different grasses. And then there's also some weeds. And oh, there's also some microbiota that are happening under here. Oh, there's thousands of microbes living under the ground. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's not exactly a a mono species anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So that argument's gone. And then it's useless. Okay, that's a good question. What are we actually using those green spaces for? Mm -hmm. If you have tall grass right next to your building, you're going to be at risk for snakes and fleas and ticks and rodents. Mm -hmm. So that's why we cut our grass around buildings. Okay. What about sports fields? Well, those are places for people to exercise and kids to play. That's very important, especially in today's day and age where childhood obesity Mm -hmm. is increasing in frequency, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And golf course, it's useless. Uh, Well, actually, a lot of golf courses, specifically on Ontario, they were either established in areas that were... Not suitable for other things. (laughs) Yeah, not (laughs) suitable for construction projects. Or they were in the middle of nowhere. And the reason why the town exists now is because people moved close to the golf course. So they were kind of the nucleating agent or the coagulating agent Mm -hmm. for the creation of the residential area that's there now. Mm -hmm. So that's not fair either. And you have to think about in the golf industry, how many jobs and what kind of industry economically that's actually supporting in your region. And if you do have a green space and you're not using it for play and you're not using it for pest control, okay, then let's talk about alternatives. Mm -hmm. I am a tree hugger at best, but Mm -hmm. I also recognize I don't want a tree two feet from my house. I need a bit of space from those trees to protect my house and protect myself. So I don't want trees right next to my house, even (laughs) though I love them, right? I also don't want a huge amount of bumblebees or or wasps or anything. Another nice word we like to use them as pollinators. I don't particularly want those around where I walk barefoot to hang my laundry, Mm -hmm. right? So you have to think about the function of the space that you're expecting and then figure out what plant is best for you. And turf in the way that we use outdoor spaces 
is often the easiest way to manage. Yes, we have to cut grass. Yeah, okay, that's kind of annoying. <laughs> but it's cheaper than having to maintain a garden, yeah. and gardens often need to be watered, and grass doesn't necessarily need to be watered, right? So you do have to think about the, the give and take of all these situations and what their primary goal is and where their objectives are. And it's a good thing you guys are all so nice up there in Canada, Sarah. And we'll take another break right now because those things get a little testy here in the States when we try to have those conversations, as I'm sure even they can get where you are. Why don't we take a break? I'm with Sarah Stricker from the Guelph Turfgrass Institute. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back. Nutrient management in sand-based systems, be they a putting green or a soccer pitch, requires exceptional product formulation to maximize turf performance. Our partners at the Plant Food Company have products and programs that research has shown offer solutions that you can trust. So as you are putting together your nutrient management program, trust your Plant Food Company rep to provide you with the latest technology that supports plant health and maximizes playability. Learn more at plantfoodco.com. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm with Dr. Sarah Stricker from the Guelph Turfgrass Institute. And Sarah, you just laid out such an excellent outline for the way to think about having conversations about the sort of broader benefits. Of course, in academic terms, we call those things ecosystem services. And a lot of what you were talking about there are those cultural services, those things that sort of directly service us, but also the pollinator service, right? Maybe that you want to have there. And I know that was a big issue that came up uh, and you guys went right at it. I was so glad to see you guys do this. I know Eric was quoted. You've been quoted in the media around this concept in America that golf course superintendent, and sports turf managers and lawn care professionals, anybody in this industry has heard about this successful No Mow May campaign mm. that was, I think, started in Wisconsin, in Appleton. And now I believe that the paper that originally got it going has had to been retracted because uh, I think the insects that they surveyed in that study don't exist uh, in, in that part of Wisconsin. So uh, let's talk specifically about this topic that it seems like the GTI uh, has taken on directly. Well, it actually originated in the United Kingdom, as far as I can tell. And what they were hoping was that there were some ditches or roadsides that had wildflowers and the people were saying, please don't mow these. Uh, let the pollinators enjoy the, the flowers. And that then turned into, oh, if I don't cut my grass for four weeks, I'll have a pollinator garden. <laughs> That's not how that works, yeah. right? It's a total dissonance and also a misunderstanding about pollinators in general. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? This is great. So what do you do when people are duly clueless? right? They get just enough information to be dangerous. Number one, it's a ditch, mm. right? Nothing but water flows through it. No one walks in it. Maybe there's a, a groundhog or something that, you know, lives around there. Mm. But we do mow roadsides and ditches for a very important reason, yeah. and that's management of woody species, because yeah. you don't want a tree right next to your roadside right. where you're whizzing down the road at 100 clicks, right? That's right. That's so right. mowing 
is management of dicots. It's preventative of the woody species that we don't really want there. And we want roadsides to have visibility and prevented. I don't want a deer in a forest right next to the inches from where my side mirror is going, right? I want some buffer space, right? Mm -hmm. So mowing Mm -hmm. ditches and roadsides, it makes sense. And then some people say, oh, put flowers there instead. Great. You can plant the flowers, but when you continually mow them, they'll die because they're not monocots, monocots grasses, they have the growing point at a low height. And so they can tolerate being mowed, right? So that's that. Onto lawns, the then idea was that if you don't mow, then the dandelion flowers feed the bees. There's a couple counterpoints to that in that dandelion pollen's not actually very plentiful nor nutritious, and it would actually be more beneficial for you to plant something like a willow tree because it produces more flowers than you'll find on a lawn and the nutrition value is higher. So understanding actually what the peas want to eat. Mm-hmm. The other element of dandelions are mowing tolerant. If they weren't mowing tolerant, we wouldn't have them as an issue in <laughs> lawns, right? They have a basal rosette. Yeah, Their growing yeah. point is low to the ground. So my suggestion, and I did a research project here, and that you can kind of see the dandelions all bloom together in what's called a flush. Yeah. They all bloom together yeah. and then they go to seed. So just mow after they've flowered and before they turn to the puffballs. You fed the bees and you've not damaged your turf. The statement going across of no mow may is saying that I can do one cultural practice across all turf species, across all ecosystems, across the world. That doesn't make sense. The growing conditions in Ontario, southern Ontario, are very, very different than the growing conditions in northern Ontario. This is the same province. (laughs) This is a province where I can have peach trees and polar bears in the same province. (laughs) It's so great. You know, a lot of people don't think about the vastness uh, that Canada is and how far north things go. But I think it's fascinating, the conversation that we're having about this, because one of your pieces in preparation for this, you sort of liked it because it's a conversation starter. And that's mm-hmm. sort of what I want to talk to you about here is that golf course superintendents get the, some version of this, right? This sort of ideal thing that people know nothing about that we call the Augusta syndrome, right? You watch the mm-hmm. masters and everybody goes back to their golf course and says, well, I want that. Right. And now you're talking about a transfer of a ditch to a lawn, to a landscape, all of a sudden going like this is that same idea of having to deal with people who are trying to do some good, but really don't understand it. So you guys got out there in the media, you, Eric and Katerina got out there. What's been the response to you guys from BC to Halifax? You were being cited. So What's been the result now? Here we are at the end of the year. What's been the feedback you've gotten from your involvement in these things? I did have a couple of people send me some harsh emails that it's funny. They thought were anonymous. By the way, if you send uh, an email to me from your Gmail, I do get your first and last name. (laughs) Don't do that. Uh, They send me these hate mail uh, about, you know, it's just because you're funded by the industry and of Mm. course you're going to say these things. And like, no, I'm trying to better the understanding of the homeowners because if you do want a lawn, a functional lawn later in the season, if you do something to ruin it, (laughs) you're going to have to put more water and seed and fertilizer and more waste 
essentially waste more effort because you didn't do your spring maintenance. Yeah. That's what we were trying to say. Yeah, yeah. But also any practice that you do, do it in response to the environmental conditions you have, mm-hmm. not based on mm-hmm. a calendar. Mm-hmm. You know, some people were upset and many people were happy to have some instruction. And then also the paper you said that got retracted. The reason why it was retracted was that they had identified bees by sight And a bee expert found that on Twitter and he was like, I can't even identify them in the lab under a microscope. So that doesn't make sense. So that's part of why it got retracted. And their whole study, actually, they were looking at no mow homeowner lawns, Mm -hmm. a very small sample, Mm -hmm. and mowed high traffic parks. Mm -hmm. And they counted pollinators. Automatically, (laughs) the homeowner area is going to have more pollinator species because usually homeowners have gardens with flowers, bushes, and trees, and less wind, right? And less traffic. So more insects in those areas. So it was really not a good study to start with. And that's why I did my own study in the field here where I combined a nomome and also a project that they say leave the leaves, you know, either mulch your leaves mm-hmm. or leave the leaves on the for the pollinators and gave concrete data The conclusion at the end of the day is if you want flowers, you have to plant them. They don't just pop out of nowhere, right? So yes, dandelions can feed the bees, but that's a temporary solution. If you want to encourage bees to come into your lawn, clover is a good option. You can Mm -hmm. add clover in there that has a great positive relationship with turf. It can be mowed. Do that. But then also be aware that if you walk barefoot in your backyard or you have dogs or cats or kids, bee stings are an option now. So just be aware. (laughs) That's exactly right. And I think, you know, one of the things that you've demonstrated to me is these are conversations that are very difficult because, as you've said, we get accused uh, of being biased, right? Because, you know, we are in this industry and certainly we do see the benefits. And so what I like, and you guys have done this as well, is listen, if you, there's lots of ways to manage the urban landscape. It doesn't just Mm -hmm. have to be lawn. And as you've said, if all you're doing is looking at it, the advantage it has is it's the easiest thing, right? Golf courses Mm -hmm. get, of course, more involved. But again, golf courses have broader impact. They have enormous amounts of stormwater benefits uh, as well. When you talk about all the rainfall, they can collect in areas where there's lots of impervious surfaces. But we have a lot of older lawns. And one of the things we found is that, boy, if you can delay that first mow, as long as possible. You do get these spring ephemerals that seem to pop up in places, Sarah, mm-hmm. that provide some of the early visitors to the lawn, like the early native pollinators that might even have some specialized relationship with the flowering plant, right? We have these lesser celandines, these really odd spring ephemerals that we just tell guys golf courses and otherwise, if you're not using it for anything, leave it alone for a little while. But to your point, Letting the grass grow unabated through the month of May during the period of fastest vegetative growth is just a bad idea for just managing that plant there. I mean, if you're going to do that, you might as well, you know, have something else there. And and the idea of planting flowers is is the way to go. So listen, I'll get you out of here on this. We're about to celebrate. I'm coming up for the hundredth year, right? This is a pretty big deal. In fact, I think the guy invited me two or three years ago. I've always felt really honored. I've gotten a pleasure to see your entire country from one coast all the way to Prince Edward Island, where, where our mindful superintendent, Paul McCormick is. And do you get a sense from traveling and interacting uh, with people that because the country is so vast, because 
because there is a somewhat smaller population, that there is this greater appreciation, this appreciation for the natural world that I don't want to say we don't have here in this country, but it doesn't seem front of mind like it is for you guys. Can we wrap up talking about a a Canadian sentiment about the natural world, Sarah? I don't think it's uh, Canadian unique at all. It might seem that way because we have more pesticide legislations here, but I think anyone who works outside is a plant lover, an outdoor lover. You don't become a superintendent if you don't like being outside, right? I think everybody who's in the green industry, I think we're all in it for good reasons. We like to play these sports that we play. We like the smell of fresh cut grass and we like to see the wildlife that exists in the little niches that we carve out for ourselves in the urban landscape. You know, like you can't find deer anywhere in the greater Toronto area except on a golf course, right? So (laughs) I think that we're all in it for the good reasons. And I don't want to say that it's a specifically Canadian thing, but we are very proud of our landscapes. And we do have some pretty beautiful landscapes up here, just as in the States. I'm very excited to go to Phoenix next year Mm -hmm. or uh, in the early season. I've never seen the desert before. So I'm very excited about that. I think we all have something to give. And I think we all want to do the best for the environment at the end of the day, Ah. because if we don't have a healthy planet, we don't exist. The world has existed before humans and it will exist after humans. Sarah, it has been just a great joy to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, Really appreciate you doing that and all the great work you're doing up there. And I'll tell you, I'll look forward to seeing you uh, at the 100th anniversary in January and then also uh, out in Phoenix, where I'm sure you will be impressed with the stark nature uh, of the landscape in the desert, Sarah. Thanks very much for taking the time. Appreciate having you. Yes, thank you. And for your listeners, uh, we're Guelph Turf on all the social medias, and I also have a podcast called Canadian Turf Talks. Um, We're very glad to have that promotion. And the Canadian Turf Talks, I'll second that, is a couple that I listened to in preparation, Sarah. You're much better at this than I am, I can tell. So (laughs) thanks for taking the time to join me. No problem. Thank you. Big thanks to Dr. Sarah Stricker. Frankly Speaking is brought to you by our friends at Dryject, the only machine that aerates top dresses and amends in one pass, the plant food company providing nutrient management solutions to golf course superintendents to enhance playability, and Frost Inc. spray technology products who strive to make your spray day a great day. You can listen to us on Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. Frankly Speaking is produced at Rep Studios in downtown Ithaca, New York by Nate Richardson. Big thanks to marketing and business management, John Kiger. Graphic design, Nicole Rossi. Theme music, Tucker Rossi. And executive producer, Peter McCormick. I'm Frank Rossi. Thank you for joining me.